On the picture, on the screen, is a picture of the Staines family. Now, Graham, on the right, was born actually on the Sunshine Coast in 1941. And then in 1965, he moved to India to serve as a missionary and to care for those with leprosy. Now, while he was serving on the mission field, he met his wife, Gladys, and together they had three children, Esther, Philip, and Timothy. And together, this family served the people of India for many years. But on the night of January 22nd, 1999, Graham was on the road with his two sons. They'd been at a, a gathering of Christians in a nearby province, and they decided to stop for the night and to sleep in their car at the front of a local church. According to reports, a mob of about 50 people armed with axes and other weapons attacked the vehicle. The mob had ties to an extremist Hindu group who was upset with the work that the Stains had been doing. This mob then poured petrol on the car and set it alight, trapping Graham and his two boys inside and ultimately burning them to death. Now, if we're honest, we hear a story like this and we wonder, how could God allow this to happen? They were missionaries, they were helping people in need, they were sharing the gospel. How could God allow this? You know, the truth is, this is not an isolated incident. In North Korea, it is estimated that there are, at this moment, right now, 50 to 70,000 Christians who are locked up in forced labor camps. Earlier this year in Burkina Faso, a church was attacked and six people were killed. In Nigeria in 2018, just last year, there were 3,731 Christians killed for their faith. We hear stories like this and we wonder, doesn't God care? If he's so loving, if he's so powerful, why doesn't he protect his children? These are really powerful questions. And the passage that we're looking at today addresses this very issue. In fact, the the heading in my Bible for this section of scripture is suffering for being a Christian. And this is precisely what this passage is about. In fact, this is what 1 Peter is really all about. This is why we've called this series Against the Tide. Because Peter is writing to Christians and to churches who were going against the flow. They were unpopular, they were outnumbered, they were being harassed and humiliated. And in just a few years, they would face violence and death for their faith in Jesus. In fact, Peter himself would be crucified by the Roman Emperor Nero for his faith in Jesus. This is what it's all about. Now, you might be thinking, well, this really has nothing to do with us, does it, Adam? I mean, we're not going to walk out of church this morning and go onto the street and be locked up or beaten up simply because of our faith in Jesus. And you'd be right. I mean, we certainly enjoy freedoms that our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world and at other times in history have not enjoyed. But I would simply point out that you don't know what the future holds. It might be that God will bless us with the privilege to suffer for Jesus. 
If you think that's a strange way of putting it, I'm simply saying what the Bible says. You see, we often call someone blessed if they have a healthy body, a nice home and good food on the table. But the Bible says you are blessed if you are beaten, starved and even killed for your faith in Jesus. I mean, Peter said in the the passage that we just read, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. To suffer for Jesus is a blessing from Jesus. And if the time ever comes that God gives us the privilege, we need to be prepared and ready for that. I would also add that even if you're not currently facing violent opposition for your faith, then you might still be facing some level of opposition. Maybe it's an antagonistic colleague or a family member that just kind of keeps chipping away at your faith, undermining your faith. Maybe it's pressure from friends. If that's you, then this passage that we're looking at this morning will help you, and it will help all of us as we continue to think about this important topic of suffering. And really, this passage gives us three important insights about suffering for being a Christian. Opposition for following Jesus. And the first, if you're taking notes, is this. Don't be surprised by suffering. Don't be surprised. Look at verse 12. Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go through pain and difficulty, when I experience suffering or I encounter opposition, my first reaction is often shock or surprise. I can't believe this is happening to me. Why would they say this about me? Why would they do this to me? It's almost as if I've assumed that life should always work out for me, that people should always like me, that God should always protect me. I wonder if you have similar assumptions. I suspect that you do. But where do we get these assumptions from? Because it's not the Bible. The Bible very clearly tells us to expect opposition. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be, not might be, will be persecuted. Jesus himself said in John 15, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If you're a Christian, you should expect to face opposition for your faith in Jesus. Being a Christian, I've said this before, will not make you part of the popular group. And you've got to be okay with that. In fact, it kind of reminds me of a scene from one of the greatest TV miniseries ever made, Band of Brothers. When Molly and I first started dating, one of the first things I did was made her sit down and watch it, and she thanked me for it. So if you haven't seen it, you should go and watch it. It's about a true story about US paratroopers in the Second World War. And there's a scene in which Lieutenant Richard Winters is about to lead his troops into the Battle of the Bulge. And another soldier kind of pulls him aside and says to him, 
ominously, looks like you guys are going to be surrounded. To which Lieutenant Winters, without hesitation, replies, we're paratroopers, Lieutenant. We're supposed to be surrounded. Now, when the devil whispers in your ear, looks like you're surrounded. Looks like God has abandoned you. Looks like God doesn't care about you. You can reply to him, I'm a Christian, you idiot. I'm supposed to be surrounded. Because when you become a Christian, you become engaged in a battle. A battle with your own sin. That's a battle we all know very well. A battle with the sin of others that the world, the Bible calls it. And a battle with the schemes of the devil. Now this means that at some point, the bullets are going to start flying. And you might just get hit. And you shouldn't be surprised when you do. You know, can you imagine a soldier who signed up to join the army, to serve his country, to go to war? He goes through basic training, he gets sent to the front line, but then he comes running back crying, saying, they're shooting at me! Like real bullets! You'd think, what did you expect? I mean, it's ridiculous, and yet, that's how so many Christians respond when the bullets start flying. And this verse is in the Bible to remind us that suffering for following Jesus, it's not something strange, unusual, and it is not to catch us by surprise. And if we're going to be able to handle suffering for Jesus, we must expect it to come, but we must also understand why it comes. We must understand the purpose of it. And this is really, really so important because when we don't understand the purpose of suffering, we might make some wrong assumptions about it. For example, we might assume that God has abandoned us, that God is punishing us. It might even lead us to reject God and to leave the Christian faith. I know far too many people that have walked away from Jesus because suffering came into their lives, and I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying we must understand the purpose of it before it comes so that we will not walk away. And this is the second insight that we see in this passage. We need to know the purpose of our suffering. Look again at verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now Peter describes our suffering as a fiery ordeal. That's strong language, but it's a translation of a Greek word, porosis, which literally means to purify or to prove. Suffering is the furnace in which our faith is purified and proven. In fact, I read a story this week, and I'm not sure whether it's true or not. It's told by a pastor who asked a silversmith, someone who works with silver. He said, how do you know that you've put the silver through enough, through the fire enough so that it's ready? The silversmith replied, I know because I look into it and when I can see my face reflected in it, I know it has been through enough. I know that it's pure. Pastor thought about this and he said, you know, that's what God does with us. He puts us through the fire until he can see his own image reflected in us. 
You see, Christian suffering is not pointless or random. It has a point and a purpose. God is using it for our good and for our godliness. Now, I'm not suggesting that this is what we say to someone who is in the midst of painful suffering. The Bible does not tell us to lecture those who grieve. It tells us to weep with those who weep, to sit next to them and to put our arm around them and to just cry with them. But at the same time, if we are not going to be surprised by suffering, we must understand its purpose. We must understand that when it comes, we are being purified, we are being refined. You know, at the moment, as Ivor prayed in his prayer a moment ago, um, we have some bushfires that are raging through our state at the moment. Now, if we're honest, suffering often feels like a bushfire, doesn't it? It feels like it leaves absolute and total devastation. But Peter is telling us that suffering is not like a bushfire, it's actually more like a furnace. The point is not kind of indiscriminate ruin, the point is intentional refining and deepening and strengthening. See, God deepens our faith as we trust in him in the midst of trials. You know, I've never heard anyone claim that they kind of grown mostly and significantly in their faith during times of real comfort and ease. But I've heard many people claim and say that they have grown the most during times of pain and difficulty. Samuel Rutherford was a Scottish pastor in the 1600s. He put it this way. He said, the great king keeps his finest wine in the cellar of affliction. George Matheson, he was born in Glasgow in the 1800s and he was born with poor eyesight. By the age of 18, he was almost totally blind. Listen to what he says and listen carefully. It's, it's so powerful. He says, ask the great ones of the past what has been the spot of their prosperity. And they will say it was the place of great difficulty and pain. Ask Abraham. He will point to the sacrifice on Mount Moriah. Ask Joseph. He will direct you to his dungeon. Ask Moses. He will date his fortune from his danger in the Nile. Ask David. He will tell you that his songs came in the night. Ask Job. He will remind you that God answered him out of the whirlwind. Ask Peter. He will extol his submersion in the sea. Ask John, he will give the path to Patmos. Ask Paul, he will attribute his inspiration to the light which struck him blind. Ask one more, ask the Son of God. Ask him from what source has come his rule over the world. He will answer, from the cold ground on which I was lying, the Gethsemane ground, I received my scepter there. Even when it doesn't feel like it, and even when we can't see it, God is at work in our pain for our good and our godliness. You know, Ravi Zacharias is a Christian author and speaker, and he tells the story about the time he uh, got to visit the infamous Angola prison in Louisiana. Now, Angola used to be the most dangerous prison in America. It's changed in recent years, but there was a time when a prisoner was processed into Angola, with their scrubs and their clothes, they were given a knife to protect themselves. And so Ravi had the chance to speak at the Bible college at the prison, which is part of you know, why things have changed there. And he said afterwards he was chatting to one man who looked to be in his mid-30s and he told Ravi about his past and how he ended up in Angola uh, on life without parole. 
Ravi asked him, how do you handle the prospect that you will never get out of here and that this is where your life will be spent? He answered, you know, sir, if you knew the kind of person I was before I came here and what I have now become because of the freedom Jesus Christ has brought to my soul, I can only say that if this is what it took to bring me to my senses, I am happy to spend the rest of my life here. God meets us and molds us in the midst of the fire. We're not to be surprised by suffering. We are to know the purpose of suffering, which helps us to respond rightly to suffering. And this is the third insight we see in this passage. See, in verses 13 to 19, which we'll move through a lot quicker than we did verse 12, Peter gives us three reasons or three ways that we are to respond to suffering. The first, if you're taking notes, is this. Rejoice. Now, this is another one of those crazy sayings from Peter, isn't it? Remember a couple of weeks ago, Peter told us to respond to insult with blessing? Now he tells us to respond to suffering by rejoicing. Now this sounds crazy. I don't know about you, but when I go through pain and when I go through suffering, I I tend to throw a party. But it's not a happy one. It's a pity party. And, and, And I mean, it sounds like Peter is saying to us, just pretend, just put on a smile, fake it till you make it. Even though you just want to weep, just smile. But that's not what he's saying. Remember, Peter is telling, talking to us about suffering for being a Christian. This is why he talks about participating in the sufferings of Christ. Now, what does that mean? Well, his point is that if you suffer for obeying Jesus, you can and you should rejoice because you are following in the footsteps of Jesus. You are walking the path that Jesus walked. And it proves that you belong to him. I mean, Jesus suffered during his life, didn't he? During his life, he was despised and poor. At his death, at the end of his life, he was mocked and tortured and crucified. And yet Jesus' story is not just a story of misery and defeat, is it? I mean, there was glory on the other side of Jesus' suffering. Because God raised him from the dead. And he is now seated at the right hand of God. His is the name that is above every other name and the name at which every other knee will bow. There's glory on the other side of his suffering. And Peter is saying it's the same for you and for me. When Jesus returns on that glorious day, our suffering will be over and our joy will be overwhelming. But Peter goes on to say in verse 14 that not only can we rejoice in the midst of suffering because of what God will do in the future, but also because God is with us in the present. That's what he says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. When we go through suffering, we feel as if God has left us. Peter is saying it's actually in those moments of suffering that God's smile and approval is especially upon us. Think about Stephen in Acts 7 when he's being stoned to death. What does the text tell us? The spirit was full in him, that the glory of God was shining on him. Richard Wurmbrand was a pastor in Romania in the 60s and 70s when Romania was part of the communist bloc. 
Now Richard, because he was a Christian pastor, ended up in prison and in solitary confinement. He was tortured and he was um, beaten for his faith badly. Now he says there were times when he was just being flogged. He would go back to his cell and in his weakened state, he would stand up. And he would start to dance around his cell as if he was dancing with the angels because the spirit of glory and of God rested upon him. In 1555 in England, there was a time when they were burning Christians at the stake, including two men, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. I think I've told you this story before, but it's so powerful. See, as they were bringing the fire to light these two men up, Hugh turns to Nicholas and says to him, can you imagine this? You're about to be burned at the stake. He says to him, be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man. For today, by God's grace, we will light a candle in England that will never be put out. Around the same time, there was a man named John Bradford. He was to be burned at the stake with his young secretary, John Leaf. Now Bradford turned to Leaf, who was supposedly frightened, and I'm not going to make any jokes about his last name, because far braver than I ever would be. Now, he says to him, John Bradford says to John Leaf, he says, be of good cheer, Master Leaf. We will have a merry supper with the Lord tonight. And as they were burning, Bradford and and Ridley and Latimer, they raised their hands and they began to pray. And they thanked God for the life that he had given them. Now, this kind of courage, this kind of joy, it can only come from the Spirit of God can only come from knowing that there is glory on the other side of suffering. And so let me just ask you, what about you? Now, like I said, we're probably not going to be burned at the stake anytime soon. But when you suffer for Jesus, do you get angry and indignant? Or are you able to rejoice? Are you able to see that you are walking the path that Jesus walked? And it proves that you belong to him. The first response is to rejoice. The second is this, it is to examine. Look at what Peter says in verses 15 to 16. He says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Interesting thing to include. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Now what Peter is saying, he's saying that when we suffer for following Jesus, we should examine why we're suffering. Is it simply because of who we are? Simply because we're a Christian? Now if that's the case, rejoice. Give thanks to God that you belong to him. Or are you suffering because of something that you've done wrong? You know, is it because you've committed a crime? Or is it because you're a meddler? You're a busybody? You're combative? You're rude? Are you always kind of looking for a fight? Peter would say, if that's the case, then you're really just suffering the consequences of your actions. And this is why when we suffer, we are to examine ourselves. This is also what he says in verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Peter is again making the point that God uses trials to purify his people. That God uses suffering in this life to correct us and to discipline us. And listen, it is far better to receive the correction of God in this life than to reject God and receive his condemnation in the next. 
So how do you respond to trials and suffering? Do you allow them to drive you to God? Do you allow yourself to be corrected by God? Or instead, do they turn you away from God? You know, this is really, really important because when we suffer, the temptation is to turn away from God. I mean, when you go through troubles, it is very easy to stop praying. It is very easy to stop coming to church, to stop serving people, to become so filled with self-pity that you become absorbed with yourself and you forget about others and you forget about God. This is why when we go through trials, we must examine ourselves because God is at work correcting us, refining us, purifying us. We are to rejoice because we follow the example of Jesus. We are to examine ourselves. And thirdly and finally, we are to trust. Verse 19, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Now that word commit is a banking term. It means to to deposit something valuable for safekeeping. It means that when you go through trials and sufferings, you are to deposit yourself into God's arms for safekeeping. You are to entrust yourself to him. And Peter says, you can and you should trust him because he is your creator. He made you, you belong to him. But also because he is faithful. He will never let you go and he will never let you down. Now, of course, the question is, how do you know this to be true? I mean, did God let... Graham and his boys down? The answer is, you can know that God is faithful by looking at the lengths he has gone for you, by looking at what he has done for you in Jesus. You know, Christianity is the only religion, the only worldview in the world in which we are told that God himself suffers. I mean, Jesus Christ suffered in every way. He suffered socially and relationally. He suffered physically. He suffered spiritually. He was alienated, cut off from God on the cross. And because of Jesus, we have a God who understands. And when you go to him and you say, I'm suffering, I'm hurting, he's the only God who can say, I understand. I know. And so you can commit yourself to him, you can trust him, and you can continue to do good You can respond to insult with blessing. You can keep loving. You can keep serving. You can keep praying. You can keep doing good to others, even in the midst of pain and difficulty. You know, what I didn't tell you at the start about the Staines family was that after Graham and her two boys were murdered, Gladys was heartbroken, as you would be. But amazingly, after the killers were were captured and sentenced, she issued a statement saying that she had forgiven them and she had no bitterness towards them. And she actually ended up staying in India and continuing to serve those with leprosy and to share the message of Jesus until 2004. She continued to do good, even in the face of pain and suffering. And friends, we don't know what the future holds for us, but we do know what God has called us to do. He's called us to expect opposition, to know that he is at work in the midst of it, that he's with us, that he hasn't left us, and to know that there is glory on the other side and that he is faithful. He will never let us go and he will never let us down. 
And so maybe some of us this morning need to commit ourselves to him afresh. Maybe we've been sidetracked or sidelined by some pain and some hurt in our lives. And this morning we need to return to God. We need to deposit ourselves into his arms. And his promise to you is that he will keep you and he will finish what he has started in you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, it's, it's not easy to enter into the furnace. It's painful. It hurts. And yet, Lord, the promise from your word is that you are in the midst of it. And that you yourself have not remained distant from this furnace. But in Jesus, you have entered in. And so we can trust you, Lord, come what may. We can commit ourselves to you. We can deposit ourselves into your arms. And so, Lord, for those of us who have drawn back from you this morning, we want to now draw near to you. For those of us, Lord, who, as we look to the future, we're a bit fearful or agitated. We want to calm and rest ourselves knowing that you are the God of the future, that you hold all things in your hand and we can trust you come what may and so Lord this morning help us as we resolve to continue to do good to keep serving, to keep loving with our eyes fixed on Jesus and on that day when our faith will be made sight and when we we will see the glory that is on the other side of this present suffering help us Lord we love you and we pray this in Jesus name Amen Church, would you stand? May the Father who chose you, the Son who bought you, and the Spirit who teaches you, may goodness and mercy pursue you all the days of your life. 